Well, hey, Liz, how was your little quick weekend trip to the uh, to Hawaii? <laughs> My little jaunt. Yeah, you get some sun. I did. Yeah, you looked great on those Concord flight <laughs> selfies that you sent over. <laughs> the Concord had a good brand. Yeah, fast. Wait, a bunch of them crashed, right? Maybe not a good brand. You know what? Just one crash. I, I can't think remember. it killed maybe everyone on board, mm. but I looked this up because I was talking about, I've been wrong on two things lately. One, I was wrong that waterbeds were illegal. Wait, why did you think that was true? Try getting a waterbed. They're just not popular. No, they're functionally illegal. Why? Uh, you can't have them in basically any lease, and no one makes oh, them. Oh, I see. It's a yeah. landlord thing. It's a landlord thing. So unless, you're, unless you own your own home, you basically can't have a waterbed. Yeah. I well, thought they were illegal. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably for the best, to be honest. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of waterbeds. No. And it's crazy, because I've slept on one for about 15 years. Sure. Uh-huh. That's why you got old jelly back. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is that good? No. I mean... Seems like it's tough for you. No, well, my back's hard enough that I don't need some artificial uh, Casper type mattress backing me up. Casper should start making waterbeds. Casper should start advertising this podcast. Welcome, morons. Don't be mean. Why would you say that? I was talking to you and Young Chomsky. Hello, oh treasured friends that I love so much. Thank you for I saying that to me. I was talking to the audience. Oh, here we um, go. Classic setup. We are Stop back. Stop it. You forgot. For what? Dude, you don't even know. I didn't. Get, I got a fucking two syllables into that sentence. Welcome, everyone. I'm Liz. My name is Brace. Uh, we're accompanied by Young Chomsky, who better be on my side of this. Yeah. And I was doing a little lilting NPR voice there. You're like, that's that nice. The podcast is called True and On. That's nice. You know, British people do this like received pronunciation thing. What do you mean? Like they, it's like all British like newscasters. I think they do it less now, mm. but like anybody who like speaks in public in the media in Britain for a long time spoke in like a very, you know, like newsman voice here. Sure. They kind of have their own, except it's like, it's more than just news. Like, I think it's like a, a an upper class way of speaking, but like it's the like, high BBC accent. You mean? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a very posh. It's like that. That's like the highest posh level. Yeah. That's the, the high BBC. Yeah. Yeah. That's. A Can you do newscaster voice? Do we, we don't do that on the show. Do we? Hey, I'd like to tell you the fake news. Oh, I don't think that's uh, millions of children are not going missing every year. Yeah, it's more like millions of children are not going missing this year. More at 11. I'm I'm like millions of children are not going missing every year. More at 11? Because I'm questioning everything. Yeah. Even the stuff I'm saying. Stay woke. Question everything. what, what, What? Am I really saying this? Because, you know, with me, check this, check this shit. Oh, out. my God. You know, with me, it's sometimes the I prince, can't even... Prince Pivot over I here. can't even remember if my memories are real. That was a terrible pivot. That was a good pivot. Because oh it got God. us to start talking about memories. And it got us to start talking about things memories, that I've just said. Like the corners of my mind. Misty watercolored memories. 
of the way we I've done that song on here before. You have so you did gonna... that song in a very early episode on here and I'm I'm glad Can to have it your be wow. that we were all so so Okay, I'm gonna stop now. You didn't go that far the last time you did it. But has time rewritten every line? If we had the chance to do it all again, would we? Could we? Memories. Something like that. Well, if you're Ghislaine Maxwell, the answer to the question asked at the end of that last verse would be no. But the answers your defense, or excuse me, the questions that your defense would be asking was, did she ever do that to begin with? Or are you misremembering? Oh, my God. Yeah, we're talking memory today. Uh, not as I'm sure many of you more youthful male listeners would hope memories. Uh, I know that many, I've oh received many messages about certain photographs that were posted to this account. Field during the trial. Do not ever message me about those again. So we are talking about memories because as I think we talked about in the episode before the trial started, Mm. Uh, the defense is planning on calling a series of experts to the stand. Mm, the dreaded uh, expert witness. Yes. Uh, including one, Dr. Elizabeth Loftus, uh, who For is... a second, I thought you were going to say Dr. Fauci. Imagine if they called Dr. Fauci. <laughs> Dr. Anthony Fauci. <laughs> I don't who know is going to say why it's actually the girls that are wrong. Oh, my um, God. So they're going to be calling a woman named Dr. Elizabeth... Loftus. I almost just called her Faustus. Which would <laughs> At be least a you good call her friends. Uh, yes. Well, you're no longer a doctor. But she is going to basically come and be asked a bunch of questions for those who don't know how expert witnesses work in court. She is a uh, like an expert in her field who's going to be called to the stand by the defense and basically asked a bunch of questions by the defense attorneys that will try to, I mean, rather predictably intimate that Memories aren't perfect. In fact, sometimes people just make up memories. In fact, what is a memory anyways, but just a bunch of stuff you saw on TV? And then the prosecution is going to try to disabuse the jurors of all the things that the defense just asked her. Yeah, she's called an expert witness because she's called to testify based on her, like, field of knowledge that she is, like, you know, classified as an expert in. Yes. Which, here's what I say. Mm, Don't believe. Fake expert. You think she's a fake expert? I think she is. I don't like her expertise. Yeah. How about that? I I mean, I'll concede that she's probably somebody who has a lot of, I mean, I know she's somebody who has a lot of accolades in her work and is a very sort of like well-regarded by other academics and scientists. uh, Two types of people I don't care for. Lauded. Yes. But uh, yeah, exactly. Some people who did the coronavirus, I'm supposed to believe. Yeah. I, I will say this. I think she's an expert at being a witness. Yeah, she definitely is. I don't know about her expertise in other fields um but i mean we'll get we'll get more into her sort of as the as the episode progresses but that's sort of the foundation we're building foundation in this podcast episode today because if you might remember uh you know it, 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 well, i guess this would be our episode one but our first day of the trial we saw uh opening statements by the the defense and the prosecution Prosecutions, as you know, was very short, whereas the defense went on and on and on. Yeah. But they returned much like a pop song to a refrain, uh, an, a, a, an alliterative refrain. Yes. Of the trial was about three things. Memory, money, and manipulation. Yeah. And today we deal with memory. 
Yeah, so we mentioned that Elizabeth Loftus, excuse me, Dr. Loftus. Mm-hmm. I'll show some respect. Even reco- though I want to say that, no respect. I don't. I only recognize God's titles I to will take. People. I'll call her a doctor before I want her affiliated with Elizabeth's. Let me ask that. you. Let me ask you this, doctor. If I get some fucked up, like, mole, can you fix it? Oh, oh no? God. Then I don't think you're a doctor. So she has been, uh, yeah, like we said, she's been an expert witness in a ton of high-profile trials. But she's also was previously affiliated, she was on the board, I believe, of this organization called the False Memory Syndrome Foundation, which might clue some of our more astute listeners in to the type of testimony that she will be giving. Yeah, so I guess let's, let's, let's before we get more into her, let's talk about the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. Yeah. Or, yes. F-M-S-F. And I, I mix up it's these a acronyms twister. all the time, so just bear with us. So the late 1980s and early 1990s was the golden age of uh, satanic ritual abuse mm. allegations. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and without weighing in on whether or not scores of preschool teachers were, in fact, opening gateways to hell using uh, children, um, there was a big backlash against this as well. And sort of a lot of debate about how memory functioned and whether members could be implanted and stuff like that. It seems to me, you know, you might want to go back maybe to the late 1960s, mid-1960s to really get some more information Well, we, we will in a second. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but the False Memory Syndrome Foundation was actually came out of a very specific sort of set of allegations from a woman against her father. Yeah, Jennifer Freyd, mm-hmm. the daughter of a man named Peter Freyd uh, and his wife, Pam Freyd. Yeah, quick thing about them there is um, their stepbrother and sister. Dude, when you texted me this today, that just like blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow I skipped over that. This is, you know, this is like, this is the, what, those like stepbrother, stepsister pornos. This is actually, if they kept the plot going after that, they end up getting married. Yeah. So there was actually, there's, maybe we'll link to it. There's a recent um, long form article, as they call it, mm-hmm. in The Cut. It was about last, last year, maybe two years I ago. I think so, yeah. Um, about the False Memory Syndrome Foundation and the case of Jennifer Freyd, the, daughter of Peter and Pam Freyd. Mm-hmm. What basically happened was Jennifer um, started slowly to re- like realizing, she says, that she was abused by her father. Yeah. Starting at a very young age. Now, she's never really like detailed exactly what the abuse was. She says, even in the piece, she says, like, I don't see the point of like publicly disclosing that, which fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but she says that the closest, like the closest that she'll get to describing it, was molestation, and she yeah. says that one of her earliest memories was at the age of three years old. Yeah, um, I think it continued until she was a teenager. She says. Yeah, she says that the way that this happened was um, it, it started like these memories started to kind of like flood in slowly, almost in like succession, like kind of building its own momentum. Yeah. Like one would kind of unlock another and unlock another, mm-hmm. which is very similar to other ways that um, other abuse victims have described kind of realizations of, yeah. um, you know, various abuse um, or traumatic events from their early childhood. She, 
at one point, like, was kind of going through therapy and kind of realizing all of this stuff. And upon a visit from with her parents, she kind of, like, blurts out this realization to them. And she, in that in that piece, they detail kind of the reaction of Peter Freud. It's very bizarre. Yeah. Which is that he didn't actually, like, suddenly just deny immediately the allegations, but rather seemed to kind of have... Or, or he didn't seem surprised, rather. Yeah. He did deny them, famously. But he didn't seem surprised or shocked or, um, like, upset or outraged that his daughter would be accusing him of uh, child abuse, but rather, like, had a kind of cold, um, almost, like, lawyerly response yeah. ready to kind of give her. Yeah, and, and it's it's you can kind of see this throughout the history of the FMSF. Christ, what a mouthful that is. Yeah. Uh, where it's actually Pamela that really steps up, his wife, wife. that really yes. steps up. The wife's up. sister. Sister wife. Sis- yeah, his sister and wife. Yes. Uh, really steps up to the plate. And um, she, you know, she maintains, obviously, you know, the, things are sort of sticky here because, you know, she didn't, they, they had had a really long relationship that, that had mostly been at least, you know, decent or cordial up until this, this instance. Yeah. And so they continued sort of having like an email correspondence. They never saw each other again, but the tenor of the emails sort of on both sides changed at a certain point. And, uh, uh, with Pamela starts accusing her daughter of maybe trying to come up with like a way to get them in court or something like that. Mm. And, uh, basically most communication is, is really cut off and Pamela writes an article in a small journal. Uh, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's like issues in child abuse allegations or something like that using her own story, but like making it anonymous. Although it seems like if you knew anybody involved, you could basic, basically catch, catch the mm, details. Mm-hmm. And this is when things start to get really weird. She starts sending these out. Well, things are already very weird, but she starts sending them out. Uh, these, these issues, including several, like a stack of issues to her daughter. Yeah. Yeah. So it's at this point that Peter and Pam basically start up the false memory syndrome foundation. I'm not even going to say the acronym. It's too, it's, it's too confusing. Where they and they start writing books, even not just papers, but books outlining different reasons why women would make up past abuse claims. So it's things that will probably sound familiar to you because this has become kind of, I don't know, weirdly like popular and commonplace. Yeah. Um, well, if not this, like really, like. Uh like forward version of it, sort of like a more, a more like subdued version of what these people are putting forward. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get into the reasons why that happened, which are very interesting. Um, but basically it's like different reasons why women make up abuse claims. And it's always like, it's like, Oh, you're in a bad marriage or you've got like a shitty sex life or you're facing career stress or you're jealous of your mother or a feminist therapist, which feminist therapists come up a lot yeah. in a false memory syndrome foundation stuff. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that this stuff was coming kind of, you know, on the tails of the satanic abuse uh, panic that was kind of like going through the nation. That's also like when movement conservatism and the kind of Christian conservative movement was really like at its apex. I mean, this is like Shafley, you know? Yeah. You've got Shafley on TV. I had her. Um, You know, you've got all of the kind of Reagan conservatives really uh, pounding the pavement with all of this stuff. They've got all their little civil society groups and all their little church groups and mm-hmm. huge network 
throughout the United States. So, we, you know, we still see the kind of ramifications of all of that infrastructure that was put in place. But so this stuff is like all over TV too. Yeah. Which becomes like a big sort of uh, fuel or carrier for spreading the kind of, I don't know, popularity of these ideas. So the feminist backlash really comes from the kind of conservative angle that a lot of this stuff was based in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think it's it's you know you also see a lot of the um like the nascent real like skeptic movement really plays a huge part in this too. And I'm not really sure where to put that like I mean politically Can you explain the skeptic movement? So all right, you know how you're like damn ghosts are real cuz they are. You can touch them. You can defeat them, but they're real. Uh, imagine if there was a whole group of guys, mostly with British accents, who were basically made careers that are telling you that they're fake. That's the skeptic movement. I mean, it's, it's, um, Penn and Teller are very famously skeptics. Uh, Richard mm. Dawkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who is, uh, skeptical of at least some charges of child abuse, considering that he is, uh, well, very friendly with Jeffrey Epstein. Um, but it was basically people like it was, it was, it was this sort of atheist movement, but also like skeptics, uh, skepticism about the paranormal, you know, Mm. that was very in vogue in the 1990s. Yeah. Um, skepticism about, uh, just basically all sorts of stuff. And like, not skeptical of wearing a fedora. No, no. Big fedora guys. The thing is like, imagine like it is, it is like a supremely Reddit ideology yeah. Yeah, yeah, i mean yeah. i don't know what it, I, I, it's, it's a, lot a of precursor people, to that like new atheist kind yeah, of yeah which is a precursor to the idw stuff that exactly kind of about. so like a lot of these guys it's it's crazy you know one of, one of the one of the co-founders of uh the false memory uh syndrome foundation was this guy ralph underwager mm-hmm. uh, yeah we should talk about him yeah and but he i read i read a piece that he wrote and it was like christ this could have come from you know any one of those like barry weiss type people uh you know with it's like sort of rampaging against like the barbaric feminists uh who know who are accusing everyone of sexual assault yeah he was also like uh talk about a career witness he was a career defense witness under wager yeah uh in not just child sex abuse like cases all over but you know he's like written pro pedophilia (laughs) like he's given quotes to like pro pedophilia magazines yeah which at the time like i know you're like hey wait a second there's pro pedophile magazines in the 80s? Yeah. Yeah, and it's like an <laughs> academic magazine, but look where it's from. Home. Yeah. It's where they don't... Again, all of these like weird kind of like civil society, social groups, NAMBLA, you know, they're funding a lot of this kind of stuff. And it's all, we're all seeing second and third kind of order organizations kind of moving out of that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's funny too. The false memory syndrome foundation was basically a way for parents who think they had been falsely accused by their kids. I mean, mostly parents, uh, who kids specifically who were supposed to have like memories that they returned to later. Um, you know, there was a lot of therapy and you know, the thing is with this too, a lot of therapy is like, especially, you know, getting into the nineties, there was a lot of mumbo jumbo going on, Mm. but like this was specifically for parents who had like kids that remembered suddenly or maybe even didn't remember suddenly actually had the memories the entire time, but didn't confront their parents until much later uh, to basically like get together in an organization to uh, proclaim their innocence. Yeah. They're, they had like, you can go online and look through a bunch of their old newsletters, yeah. um, robust newslettering they were doing 
lots of uh, resources like, oh, we'll help you with legal resources if you yourself are facing claims, you know, um, whether it's in like family court or in a divorce situation or just by a child trying to get guardianship, you know, uh, guardianship revoked, whatever. Uh, really like, um, yeah, really, really leaning heavily on the legal aspect. Sorry, I dropped something. We're keeping it in. <laughs> from one of the um, from one of the newsletters, though, I do need to read a quote. Yes, because I think it will give some some good background, uh, some good background color mm-hmm. uh, on this organization. So this is from What are the benefits of joining M- FMSF? I'm reading it, and I still can't say it. People who care deeply about victims of sexual misconduct should be appalled by those who falsely cry wolf. In the end. Everyone benefits from a policy which deters false accusations and encourages true accusations. And this is a quote from one of your favorites, mm-hmm. Grace. Alan Dershowitz. My man. In 1994. Of course the man has to have his little fingerprints all over He loves to give thing. out a quote, doesn't he? You can get a quote from him on basically anything. No, literally, you can. Like, you can find his number online very easily. Call him, he will pick up. Yeah. So this foundation was launched in 92, again, basically in order to provide a defense for Peter and Pam Freyd. Yeah, and, 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 you know, it was supposedly to basically, like, give parents, you know, this organization they could join. But, you know, as a lot of the literature points out about this group is – there's actually no way for them to vet whether these parents are actually innocent or not. No, not at all. It's just like, oh, you say it? Here, we'll give you some resources. So essentially, anybody who comes to them, they're like, yeah, you're also innocent. Yeah. They abruptly closed down in December 2019, yeah. by the way. Um, but this, basically, they have had they've been involved in high-profile cases throughout the 90s and 2000s. They were also involved in Cosby. They were involved in Weinstein. Um and they've all kind of employed the same strategy, the same one we're seeing with Ghislaine. I would be remiss, however, we didn't mention some of the weird spooky elements oh, of that are attached to this organization. You said we have to go back to the 60s in order to talk about this idea of false memory implantation. And funny you should bring that up because some of the people involved in this organization are not the... I don't know. I don't know what how to say this. Best spokesman for this sort of thing. I mean, listen, I actually got to say, if you have, like, with government funding and in pursuit of government aims, actually planted false members in somebody, then, well, you, who's better than you to be on the board of this organization? Yeah, so one guy is Martin T. Orn, who's the founder of the Unit for Experimental Psychiatry at the University of Penn. He directed hypnosis experiments at Harvard in the 60s, mm-hmm. which was funded by this uh, group called the Human Ecology Fund. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> which for some of our, you know, longtime listeners, there might be a little like Kill Bill, like, <laughs> but the Human Ecology Fund is like a very famous cutout foundation, which was founded and funded by the CIA. And they mm. were basically both during MKUltra and definitely after just funding a shit ton of really highly experimental uh, human psychiatry, uh, I don't know, 
experiments, I guess. In my view, if you were a psychiatrist in the years between 1960 and 1990, yeah. you were making assassins. Oh, 1,000%. <laughs> yeah. Because also a lot of this stuff was a way of getting... So like behavioral sciences were really like not very, let's say, blockbuster yeah. at the time. But there was a lot of opportunity within the behavioral sciences to do really freaky-deaky shit. And so human ecology, like funneling all of this money to these big-time uh, researchers, people like Charles Osgood, Carl Rogers, these guys, like mm-hmm. $400,000 a year in the fucking 70s. That's a lot of goddamn a, money. That's a lot of money. But they were basically able to kind of liberate this field, which was kind of a bunch of nerds stuck in a room looking at rats, being mm-hmm. like, look at how they respond to when I change the cheese. Yeah. To like doing like, what if we uh, like put what? electrodes on this person's brain and feed them acid and try to get them to assassinate people, but then deny it later? Will it work? What if we give this rat mescaline an M1? Yeah. And that rat is actually a pilot. Yes. <laughs> Or yeah. Like, what would happen if we introduced a bunch of drugs into this community, like Kate Ashbury or the black communities? You know, it's that that was. I mean, there were these there were large scale social experiments going on during this time, and I'm not talking about the kind of social experiment that people put on damn TikTok. I'm talking about the kind that kills people. Yeah, totally. A lot of which we don't know about because all of the MK Ultra documents were, of course. Destroyed. Yeah, I mean, most of the MK Ultra stuff we basically only know from like accounting reports. Yeah, definitely. Orn was actually introduced to the Freights through their psychologist, who's also on the board. This guy Harold Leaf, mm-hmm. and Leaf is the psychologist who told Jennifer that she made up all the abuse claims about her father. So the thing is here too, Jennifer herself is also a psychologist. Yes, at like Oregon, I believe. I, I can't highly remember regarded. exactly when, but it's uh, also don't use the R word. Um, but I, it is, she, she's like, it's not like, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, fir- cause I first read about the, uh, fall. I keep trying to use the fucking acronym and it's just not going to work. I first read about this kind of a while ago. Yeah. Um, and then I remember reading the cut article when it came out and you know, at first you're like, well, I don't know, you know, like memory kind of returning to you, but then it's like, no dude, like. These, these, it's not like, like her parents try to paint her as like this crazy, like, yeah. you know, like depressed, uh, lunatic actually in a lot of the same ways that, that Epstein or excuse me, Ghislaine's lawyers have been trying to paint the girls as somebody who is manipulated by her husband, who's unhappy, who's after money or revenge or something like that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, but no, this is, you know, these are, these are, this isn't just like some kook or some random, you know, freak accusing somebody that they haven't seen in a long time of something because they snapped. I mean, she's very with it. Yeah. One last person we need to mention who was on the board of the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. A man named Jolly West. Okay. Now, we've spoken about him. Actually, before I say that, I want to say, but a couple of days ago, Brace and I were talking about this, and I texted him, and I said, somehow, some way, Jolly West is involved in this. And it was kind of a joke. We were like, ha-ha, there's no way. No, he literally was on the board. He was on the scientific advisory board. Now, this guy, this is from, um, this is actually from Chaos. I'm going to read a quote from the book Chaos. Yeah. In a paper titled The Psychophysiological Studies of Hypnosis and Suggestibility, 
Jolly West claimed to have achieved the impossible. He knew how to replace true memories with false ones in human beings without their knowledge. Now, if you listen to our podcast, you may remember that we've spoken about Jolly West um, in conjunction with MK Ultra stuff. He was, of course, the, the, the doctor who was assigned to see uh, Jack Ruby mm-hmm. after Jack Ruby shot Oswald. Mm-hmm. Ruby said afterwards went completely and totally insane yeah. after his hour or 45 minutes, whatever That's what it was. I do to people too. Uh, with Jolly West. Uh, basically turned into pudding. I want to say another thing about Jolly West too that is slightly unrelated um, to memory, uh, although it's something that I do believe should be remembered. Uh, Jolly West injected an elephant named Tusco with a massive amount of LSD and basically killed mm. the elephant. Yeah, I mean he, he did kill the elephant. Yeah. Um, no, in Oklahoma, I believe. A lot of people give me shit because I'm a well-known big game hunter, mm. right? But I only hunt the dangerous game, which is man, most sure. dangerous game. He, what this guy did, and I don't go around bragging about it, but what he, this guy did is he actually went around to like both drug and law enforcement conferences and psychiatric conferences and bragged about killing Tusco basically for the rest of his life. Mm. Um, he is he is a real son of a bitch, and. You know, something else that, that really struck me when, when you, you, know, you showed me the thing that said he was on the board was, I remember there is actually a specific case that Jolly West was involved with mm-hmm. that seems to really, like, it's, it, it puts a, another spin on him being on the board. So, uh, there was an airman at uh, Lackland Air Force Base who was basically caught uh, by a search party after a little girl went missing sort of emerging from the darkness with covered in cuts and his car was nearby with the little girl's panties, uh, I believe actually hanging out of the window dazed, but like not actually really out of it, not high or drunk. And he's taken in by the police released, I believe to MPs, the military police. And then, um, he had, he claims to have no recollection. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I didn't, I didn't, like, I've never heard of this girl mm-hmm. or anything like this. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't recognize his wife when, when, when she comes to visit him. Uh, he eventually signs a confession, but still maintains that he has no idea what happened, that he's like, I mean, you know the thing about confessions. So, you know, they, they can make you fucking sign that shit. But, yeah. uh, you know, he is, he is basically saying that, like, he's innocent. He saw, he feel like he has memories of another man, like a blonde man that he saw. But, like, he doesn't, he has no idea, like, no criminal record, mm. no history of violence, two kids of his own, married. Um, and so they have Jolly West come take a look at him. And West spends, I think, about, I don't know, a while with him. Um, you know, subjects him to all these psychiatric tests. And then eventually injects him injects him with uh, sodium pentothal. Um, under the uh, influence of which he describes having these uh, memories come flooding back to him and says that he did it. And he says that he did it because before this, he had repressed memories flood back to him earlier that day of his cousin. I believe it was his cousin uh, molesting him, a female cousin. And so when he saw this little girl in a parking lot outside a bar, he like was like seized by those memories, those repressed memories that he Mm. did not previously remember and uh, then went and killed her. And uh, he maintained his innocence until he died, uh, you know, some years later in the electric chair. Oh, my God. So uh, the thing with Jolly West being on this board is like, well, 
okay, I guess you do know about repressed memories and creating false memories because that was, of course, one of the things that Peter and Pamela Freight accused therapists and psychiatrists of doing is impressing people right. with false memories. But it's like, well, you, you don't you do that? Yeah, this is from an interview with Colin Ross, who's done a bunch of research uh, into kind of MK Ultra stuff and Manchurian Candidate research, mm-hmm. which is that's, great documentary. Yeah, yeah, which was all going on, you know, forties, fifties, and sixties, various military bases around the world. Um, but this is what he says: He says the Scientific Advisory Board of the FMSF, mm-hmm. which is a whole bunch of academics and experts who advise the foundation, sort of speak on behalf of it. Includes Martin Orne and Jolly West, who had CIA top-secret clearance. Harold Leif, who's the personal psychiatrist to the phrase, was also the co-author with Robert Heath, who did the brain electrode research at Tulane, which was funded by the various branches of the military and the CIA. About five of Martin Orne's co-authors, or people that he thanks in publications of his going back to the 1950s and different mind control research that he did, are also on the board. Margaret Singer, who was interviewed who interviewed the Korean prisoners of war who had top secret clearance through the military to do that work is also on the board. So there is a quite a connection and overlap between the FMSF people, not all of them, but a group of them and all this military mind control research. So that's, I mean, that's sort of the, the cabal of people who are really on the board. I mean, there's a lot of people, Elizabeth Loftus, I should add, was also an advisor on the board of the, uh, the false memory syndrome foundation. Yeah. And her interest in this seems to stem a lot from her own work. I mean, she, by the way, before I even get started on her, Elizabeth Loftus graduated from Stanford in 1970, which is enough of a, of a, the hair should be standing out on the back of your neck from that. Actually, you know what? If you ever graduated from Stanford, you should be on a watch list and you are on my watch list, but especially in those turbulent times when, mm. um, the, uh, the government was giving everybody, you knew drugs and trying to make them kill people. But uh, she graduated with, with, I believe, a degree in psychiatry, um, and she uh, she goes on to become a pretty well-known uh, psychiatric researcher, and in particular, she authored a study, and the study in has been cited one, I, I actually knew about this study before we started working on this episode, it's a very famous one, about whether you can implant memories of having been lost in the mall as a kid on somebody who this did not happen to. And so the study was conducted decades ago. Mm. Uh, and in fact, in fact, actually, I believe started as a extra credit assignment that somebody she worked with was assigning. And then she sort of like made it into an extra actual study. Credit. I know. Listen, if you're ever doing extra credit shit, you're a fucking mark. Also, All that shit's fake. This shit sound, I got to say, this study sounds like straight up like grade school science fair yeah, like, style. oh, we made them remember this. Like, eh, children going to the mall. Like, some easy thing. Like, I don't know. Anyway, explain the study. Because- well, well, I want to be clear, too. A caveat here is being lost in the mall, I will say, is categorically different than being raped. Right? I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, I don't think that's a bold statement. Yeah. Uh, so, you will... I, I'm, I'm, I'm 
actually going to be on uh, the Barstool betting website, oh seeing God. if she brings this up at the uh, at the Ghislaine trial because she did bring it up at the uh, at the uh, Weinstein one. But basically, she was able to convince, uh, I believe, about twenty five percent of participants, which I gotta say, not that high. Uh, that they had been lost in the mall as a child and been found by sort of a kindly older stranger. This did not happen to these people, um, but she was able to suggest that their parents remembered it did. And so, you know, upon further questioning, they also remembered this. And some of them, I believe, will remember details and stuff like that. Um, that supposedly proves a, a number of things. One is that it's possible for someone to implant false memories on somebody. Right. That mm. you can you can have somebody have a memory, although I, I guess to me, sort of the definition of memory here gets a little hazy and you kind of get a little philosophical on it because it's not a memory. Right. It's mm. it, it's a, it's a scene that this woman implanted in their mind that maybe they're filling in with, you know, this is a sort of, a, you know, they've been kids in a mall before. Maybe they've encountered it. I mean, I actually I do have a vivid memory of being lost in a um supermarket as a kid oh i implanted uh, that that's fake yeah well the good thing with supermarkets you just go to the front of the supermarket they can't leave any other way so you're not going to get lost there um i ended up working there for seven years my parents had left but uh so you know it, it's it's essentially supposed to prove that like memory is this very malleable thing which yeah i agree with but that it you know you 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 can you can't always rely on it right mm-hmm. and this study which Okay, not the most rigorous study. And I got to say, although people have sort of replicated in other ways, with the replication crisis hitting all these goddamn study people, mm. I'm going to, going to go ahead and say basically every study's fake. Yeah. Nothing's. You should go full Quillette on it. Yeah. Well, it is. All this shit's Quillette fake. Quillette low-key fell off. Yeah. I well, Claire Lehman uh, joined the Australian regime, <laughs> uh, and she's like super pro uh I think it's because she like... I think a lot of people were expecting them to be anti-vax. Yeah, and they were like, "No, we're science people. We're pro-vax." And everyone's yeah. like, "Wait a minute!" She's got. She's the only. She's the only goyish woman with Tay Sachs, and so she's like, um, she, she's really vulnerable. Um, Wait, I want to say real quick because yeah. you mentioned you were familiar with this study. Yeah, and I said that the kind of false memory syndrome foundation and all their work, including what Loftus Loftus study and everything became kind of like popular lore. And the reason it did, and I just to like kind of paint a picture and for why this stuff is kind of really allowed and even in academic, not just like legal context, is they did like insane PR. Oh, yeah. And in the 90s, in this moment, like late 80s to early, mid, late, let's say, let's say like, let's do an 86 okay to like a monica Lewinsky era okay so the good years of thrash metal you know what i'm saying yeah um during this moment like the biggest things were fucking daytime talk shows mm-hmm. i'm talking like springer sally jesse Raphael, all those people springer who by the way paid i believe uh to have sex with a woman via check I think that was wow, Jerry Springer that did interesting. it. Interesting. Yeah, little little true on tip here. Okay, don't do that. Yeah, that's a literal paper trail. Yes. Um, Oprah was huge, obviously, um, but also uh, kind of like tabloid news things, Access mm-hmm. Hollywood, Dateline. Yeah. Um, you know, all that kind of like true crime, investigative, uh, kind of exploitative tabloid news stuff. Yeah. Huge. Huge. And these guys made like a huge concerted effort 
to get on all of these shows talking about this kind of like this new way of, oh, you know, well, all these feminists are saying this one thing and, and all these psychiatrists and psychologists are saying this thing, but all, but perhaps it's also this. And they're showing new ways of looking at victims. And it gained this like cultural prominence Yeah, where people are like, well, now that you put it that way, I've never really thought of it. Yeah. Maybe we should think about this more. Well, it really flipped the script. Fuck, my bad for straight up. Wow. I want to offer. I, wow. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to straighten myself out here. Wow. I'm giving you a firm and solid my bad for saying that. Uh, you know what? I'll take it. Okay. And thank I appreciate you. it. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm stupid. That In was fact, so corny. I didn't say that. Uh, I'm going to flip the script here and say that, uh, you know, excuse me. I'm not even going to flip the script. They flip the script before, before the false memory, uh, syndrome foundation really gets their work going. Repressed memories were actually like viewed as something that could be like actionable, right? Yes. You could, you could, uh, there were cases where people were prosecuted because people had these memories in the past. And you know what? Some of these people fucking did it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some of them I'm sure didn't too, is the thing. That's the thing that's tricky with memory, right? Is it's very subjective when person to person and memory to memory, frankly. But like, you know, they were basically able to make that like a totally verboten subject. Yeah. Um, and they, they had, I mean, this, this, this foundation, which I don't think a lot of people have heard of. I mean, just mm. in generally in the mainstream. Kind of like big silent actor. Exactly. Like fucking huge. Yeah. Huge. Very influential. Yes. Okay, Loftus. Let's get back to her. So Loftus, uh, who, by the way, speaking of uh, the satanic panic stuff, which I guess neither of us were just speaking of, but we had previously spoken of it. A little callback. Uh, Loftus had actually, um, she had testified in the McMartin preschool mm-hmm. case, which is, you know, a little nice. Literally every case where anyone's accused of anything. Yeah, she's in it. She's in it. Yeah. She's done 10,000 cases this year. Mention, let's mention the Ted Bundy thing. Okay, so, all right, you know Ted Bundy? Ladies are like, hold on, let me get my masturbating clothes on. Uh, <laughs> you know Ted Bundy, like the, the guy that chicks like? Ugh. Even though he... No, is, the serial killer. Yeah, but that... Okay, go worked, on. All right. So... Uh, also, ladies, don't like him. What's wrong with you? I, I, you know, I'm not being not uh, attracted to Ted Bundy. I'm, I can't, you know, I don't remember all the, this is during one of the times he's arrested and I believe escapes. Uh, she yes. actually is called to testify because the main evidence against him is eyewitness evidence. Yes. And she is called to testify and she genuinely, I think, believes he did not do it. She's yeah, doing interviews. She was like, these bitches are lying. Exactly. Uh, she goes to, she gets called by the defense, by Bundy to the stand to basically say that memories are fake. Yeah, he and gets unreliable. Yeah, he. By the way, when he bounces, then he just goes on a killing spree <laughs> yes. because he's Ted Bundy. Yes, but notably, you know, kills a bunch of women, doesn't kill Loftus. No, interesting. Interesting. We should ask her that. You know yeah. what? I've always said we need community question hour in the courthouse. Mm-hmm. Great question for her. Maybe she'll go out to a nice cup of matcha with me. Oh my god. Uh, but you know, she is. Um, 
She also testified for OJ. I mean, if we want to get into this, she testified for a Bosnian war criminal. She testified for OJ. She testified for, of course, Weinstein. She testified for Sandusky. A, a Sandusky. Um, she uh, advised Michael Jackson. Like, here's the thing. I, you know, I am, you know, incredible made, CV. As somebody who will one day face a lengthy, expensive uh, court case where the entire public is against me, for doing what? something, yeah, for doing some, I don't know, for doing some cool or good. You don't seem to like this. No. You, well, unfortunately, you are already subpoenaed. Um, but uh, you know, I believe that, like, you know, even like, you, you are subject in in the current rules of the American legal system, not the troika that I have in mind for when I'm in charge. Like, yes, the defense should have representation, right? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what Loftus does, mm. <laughs> her career, to be clear here, outside of like the research stuff, because she doesn't actually treat patients, she's a researcher, is getting paid a ton of money uh, to, I think it's $700 an hour, to uh, testify. Oh my God, is it really? Yes, which is, uh, I'll pay, uh, the prosecution just pay her $701 an hour. <laughs> to say what they wanted to say. Um, but uh, to to go to bat for some of the most despicable, mm. and I'll be real, in some cases, obviously guilty people that there have ever been. Yeah, that's exactly how she makes her money. That's her entire career. Exactly. Mm. I mean, and so, you know, the woman is... Which, to be clear, is fucking disgusting. And you can see, there's, there's a really illuminating New Yorker profile. There is, yeah. I that, sent you that. That was good. Yeah, I actually really, sent you that. Interesting. No. Interesting how your memory changes. Oh my god. Um. So we don't need memory when we when have I sent you receipts. that. When I sent you that, oh where were you god. standing? So yeah, it, it it provides sort of an interesting insight into her, and uh, and shows why academics should be uh, uh, tagged and bagged, as yeah. they say. Well, I wait. Hold on. Wait. Well, I do mean that, but I didn't mean that when I said it. I meant monitored. Okay, so like an RFID tag. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. RFID, RFID. Um, but uh, yeah, something I can scan and see where they are. But uh, she is, um, she's basically the person that you call to the stand, and that's actually going to happen in this case because there's been a lot of back and forth between the defense and the prosecution over her testimony, and in fact, the testimony of all expert witnesses. But she is the person you call to the stand when you want to be like, well. Maybe these bitches are lying. And she often uses, as an example, that same lost in the mall study. Now, the thing about that is, as I said earlier, getting lost in the mall is very different than being raped or molested or anything, even if it happens at an early age. That, that happens very differently. Now, there is a lot of research. I actually talked for a while to uh, my friend Marianne yesterday, who's a mm. brain, little brain scientist. Yeah. Um... And she was, she was saying that like the function of memory isn't as like a perfect image, but it is t as useful information from your about your past used to predict your future. That's like the evolutionary purpose of memory, mm. right? And that there's different types of memory, but a lot of the time that when something really traumatic happens to you or really memorable, that memory, uh, because of cortisol, I mean, I'll be real. She was explaining this stuff to me and I was like trying to sound like I had more than like an eighth grade science education. Mm, mm, and I was mm, like, mm. yeah, cortisol. That's, Oh yeah. Oh, that's the thing I'm, you put on bug bites. That right? shit's so good yeah, crazy. to drink. Totally. Um, but you know, the, these are it, basically the cortisol 
is really important for memory consolidation. And so you actually have that encoded in you really well. Part of the problem is recalling or like retrieving memories. And it can be harder to retrieve memories that are really traumatic. Um, So basically when a, a really traumatic event happens to you, like something as severe and intense as, especially let's say you're a child, your first sexual encounter and it is obviously non-consensual, yeah. violent, maybe. Yeah. Um, just, you know, obviously, you you know, even as a person, like a, you know, a human who hasn't, who wasn't abused, your first sexual encounter, you usually remember, right? Yeah. Now imagine in a different context, much more extreme. Yeah. The levels of cortisol that your body produces in reaction to this, this like horrible action that's happening yeah. to you basically imprints this memory in your brain like harder and deeper than it does other ones. So, but while it may be able to be kind of interfered with as a way of like, you're saying it could not repressed, but like harder to maybe recall or it takes some steps to unearth it. Yes. Yeah. It can take some work to retrieve it. Yes. Retrieve. That's a better verb that like it is probably less subject to, like decaying away because it's imprinted so deeply. Exactly. Yeah. So you actually won't really truly ever forget it. And look the thing at that. is, what? Well, look at us. Two, I know. No, we're not just, just two lawyers, two scientists. Two scientists too. I am wearing all white. Yeah. Um, it, it's oh Christ. Actually, I wish I could say what I wanted to say right now. It's about Jeffrey Epstein. I cannot. Okay. Uh, but it's about a photograph I've seen of him. All right. Um, but uh, so the, um, the thing with this is that, yes, you can remember it, but some details might be changed. You might not remember, you know, the shape of someone's face or, you know, their their exact tone of their hair or something like that. Mm. But the gist of it, and this is actually a word that they use in a lot of these scientific, but the, the gist of the memory will remain the same. Like, for instance, if I, you know, if I had something really deeply traumatic, I was molested as a child or something. Um, I might not remember what shoes the molester was wearing, but I'll remember that I was molested mm. or I'll be able, if, you know, even if that, I sort of like try not to think about trying to suppress that memory and it comes up again later. Like I, I, the gist of that is still there, that it still happened, even if I can't remember every detail of it. And so part of the defense's strategy here is, and they've been telegraphing this. I've been saying this the whole time. And I, I gotta know. say, love, love using this word. They've been telegraphing this throughout the trial uh, in their questions to the victims is that they are, they are basically saying, well, you know, it's been a long time. And like, you know, you've, you've, I assume, watched media that, you know, was about Jeffrey. Remember they were asking um, Annie Farmer's ex-boyfriend, if he had any watched any documentaries or anything like right, that. Right, right, right. And they've been asking. So what they're basically trying to tell tell these or tell the jury is that these girls are intimate, rather, that these girls had actually like talked into each other and sort of absorbed portions of each other's stories and like right, right. come up and 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 TV and that you know they they basically like what their memories weren't their memories. Their memories were a maybe a core basis of something, but that was all of the details and the defense would like you to think all of the important details and especially all the details involving Ghislaine Maxwell are filled in from memory. So for instance, they're talking about how some of the victims had not mentioned Ghislaine in previous like police reports and stuff. Police reports, by the way, that were mostly about Jeffrey Epstein to begin with. Um, they're saying now that Ghislaine is sort of like the, the one after Epstein, you know, sort of the Eve 
that they were saying right. it's taking the blame that she is in a lot of these girls' minds, their punching bag because Epstein was, uh, you know, was not able to go to trial uh, because he was killed by the U.S. government. Well, maybe the U.S. government. Um, and so they are saying that, like, th- basically that, like, that they're filling in the details here yeah, and that, that they have these really imprecise memories. They call the power of suggestion. Mm-hmm. And that's what they'll probably reference, which is the idea that all these girls and all this media surrounding this case has suggested, you know, that basically, like, uh, you know, the, the suggestion has had these effects on their memories. Yes. And so it's not, you know, someone's, someone's not doing it on purpose. But that oh, they'll be very clear on that. Yeah, but that all of these sorts of you know yeah the conversations or the new context or the changing you know that all of this has basically melded these memories into things that are not representative of what actually happened. Yes, that that's the thing is is they they they're going to be careful not to call these girls outright lying whores. Yes, uh, like I've said, they've been they've been they've tried not to do that because that will not play very well. However, they are going to use as much testimony, as much uh, evidence as they can to try to paint the picture of lying whores. That is, that is, that is the intent here. And, uh, and money grubbing and, uh, and manipulated too, because maybe they've been manipulated into giving these false memories. That's another thing they brought up is that many of the girls have shared the same lawyers at some, at certain points. Right. And that these lawyers who, by the way, the defense is trying to call to the stand. They're trying to call, uh, Bradley Edwards and two other lawyers to the stand. They are among its, the witnesses they're trying to subpoena for the defense. Um, which I don't think is going to work because, I don't think that's going to fly with attorney-client privilege stuff. Um, they're they're basically trying to paint these guys as having manipulated them into including Ghislaine here for well dot 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 a bigger payout, yeah, or more glory. Um. So the thing is, t- so take heart first of all, ladies and gentlemen, in that all of those like false memory studies, it doesn't seem like they can get really above thirty percent, twenty five percent of people. And that does, and this is not according to me, that does seem to maybe correlate with IQ. And as I do have a low IQ, and so, you know, I'm safe there. I'm not going to remember anything. Um, but, you know, I, to me, that's actually not that high mm. for a lot of this stuff. You know, for like asking somebody in a short video they saw if it was a yield sign or a stop sign is like only 25, 30% of people get that wrong. Well, that's actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, but uh, they're definitely, I mean, Loftus is going to be, I'm curious to see how she'll be deployed here. Before we wrap up, I do want to bring it back to the Freds for a second, mm-hmm. because to be clear, like it's it seems very very clear that Peter Freed molested his daughter. Yeah, I, I would go ahead and say I'm on I'm on his daughter's side with this. Yes. Yeah, this is a long quote, but I kind of want to read it because I think it gives some good shades to also what's going on with Loftus in this case. Yeah, um, this is from Judith Jones Beatrix Campbell's book. Stolen Voices, an exposure of the campaign to discredit childhood testimony. It was after a frontline television documentary screened in the U.S. in 1995 that the Freyd's public profile as aggrieved parents provoked another rupture within the Freyd family when William Freyd made public his own discomfort. This is William Freyd speaking, Peter's brother. 
Peter Freyd is my brother. Pamela Freyd is both my stepsister and sister-in-law, he explained. Peter and Pamela had grown up together as step-siblings. There's no doubt in my mind that there was severe abuse in the home of Peter and Pam while they were raising their daughters. He challenged Peter's frame, Peter Freyd's claims that he had been misunderstood and that he just had a ribald sense of humor. Yes. Also something we've heard about Gillian. Those of us who had to endure it remember it as abusive at best and viciously, viciously sadistic at worst. Mm-hmm. He added that, in my view, the False Memory Syndrome Foundation is designed to deny a reality that Peter and Pam have spent most of their lives trying to escape. He felt that there is no such thing as false memory syndrome. Criticizing the media for its uncritical embrace of the Freud's campaign, he cautioned. The False Memory Syndrome Foundation has been able to excite so much media attention, has been a great surprise to those of us who would like to admire and respect the objectivity of people in the media. Neither Peter's mother nor his daughters nor I have wanted anything to do with them for periods of times ranging up to two decades. We do not understand why you would buy into such an obviously flawed story, but buy it you did based on the severely biased presentation of the memory issue that Peter and Pam created to deny their own difficult reality. And that's the thing is that the media really fucking ran with this stuff. And it was like, what's that old timey, um, like a scroll motion here, umbrella thing that you use to blow on a fire to like make it bigger. Bellows. Bellows. Yeah. That's like what the media did with this stuff. And it just fucking lit and, and you know, it was a fucking forest fire. I mean, because this shit wasn't just in the media and popular imagination. It was all throughout academia. And it's just, it's fucking crazy. Like, that you would know about this is because of the coverage of this foundation, which was created as a long con to run away from the fact that this man abused his daughter. I, I will add, too, there was, there was another really important detail from that Cut article, actually, that talked about Peter Freyd's own abuse at the hands of an artist, a well-known artist that is not named, um, that he described in sort of glowing terms and in glowing terms to his daughter Yeah, and invited this guy into their home and stuff like that. Yeah, well. exactly. And so... I mean, it, yeah, it, like the, the, the other thing too, I think that's important to note is that Pamela and Peter Freyd took this public. Jennifer Freyd had not made this publicly accused no. her parents, that they took this public first. Yeah. And so, I mean, we're still living like, you know, when, when Loftus is brought into the courtroom, we're sort of seeing what that has turned into today. Yeah, absolutely. The the maybe more sanitized, more like uh, academic approach to it, but that's that's what we're going to see. Well, we start again tomorrow, mm-hmm. bright and early. Bright and early. Defense is going to bring out their first witnesses. And I wonder if we'll see Elizabeth tomorrow. Perhaps tomorrow, perhaps Friday. Uh-huh. But we will see her soon. Yeah. And uh, and you can bet that... Uh, well, you can bet that I'll give her some memories that she'd like to forget. Oh, my God. I don't like this. The dark gourmand. The dark gourmand. You can't just make another gourmand. It's his brother. Oh, my God. I, I shall eat her. The gourmand. What if the gourmand... Is the gourmand plural? No. 
Well, yes, in the fact in, in fact that he does take up several seats that <laughs> that he has to have two phones taped together in order to actually oh dial anything. Um, two of those Nokia phones. Yes. Remember those like brick Nokia phones? Oh yes, phones? yes, yes. You know what? By the way, you know what I saw yesterday on the TV? What flip phone coming back? What? what? But it's like one big screen that then you flip like a little sandwich, like a razor. It's a razor, but imagine if the inside of the razor was a touchscreen. Weird. It's weird, right? But also, I love a flip. Yeah. So satisfying. Well, I'm going to go flip off Liz. Great. And, there it uh, is. My name is Brace. I'm Liz. We are, as always, joined by our producer, Young Chomsky. You have been listening to True and On, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye. <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein. Jeff, Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein.